Let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to Ephesians chapter 2. And as you do, any, any elementary kids that are participating in children's worship this morning are invited to meet Mr. David in the foyer at this time. But let's open up God's Word to Ephesians chapter 2 as we continue our journey in this portion of the Bible. We're in Ephesians chapter 2 looking at a well-known text, a favorite text of many today. Uh, verses 8, 9, and 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. I know you just sat down. I'm going to invite you to go ahead and stand back up, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's holy word. Ephesians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. Let's hear God's word. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Would you pause with me in prayer? Oh God, this morning we thank you for these truths. Father, we thank you for this gospel. Lord, we pray that your spirit would lead us now through the proclamation of your word to, to hear from you. Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to be led by you. We want to be instructed by you. We want to be conformed to the image of your son, Jesus, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Well, just a few days ago, uh, Ashley and I submitted uh, an online grocery uh, order through Instacart, something that we've been trying out uh, this year, where you, uh, in essence, you uh, request somebody to purchase your groceries. They go and they uh, select your groceries. Of course, you tell them what you want. They uh, check them out and they deliver them, usually within an hour or two, to your house. And they'll put them on your front uh, step by your front door. It's a pretty neat thing. And this uh, other day, just a few days ago, the groceries showed up uh, at the door. And I went to go begin to bring those in the house. And I rather quickly learned that these were not our groceries. These are somebody else's Groceries, And so I pulled up the little app where you can message uh, your shopper. And so I messaged Jamie, we'll call him. I don't remember his name. I messaged Jamie and said, hey, Jamie, just want you to know, we think you got our groceries mixed up with someone else's and waited for him to respond. And a few minutes passed, no response. So I looked up in the app, the number to call, and I called the, the help number and I got uh, somebody on the phone that said, no problem, we'll take care of this for you. And the reason that Jamie didn't respond is once they've dropped off your items, they don't have access to your information anymore. He can't see your message. And he said, no worries, we'll get this taken care of. And so uh, we we went through that whole process and uh, said that we'll have somebody deliver your groceries in the next little while. And sure enough, it wasn't long. But before I got off the phone, I asked him, I said, uh, what what am I to do with uh, somebody else says, what am I to do with my neighbor's groceries? And he responded in a, a thick and pleasant accent. Uh, well, uh, Mr. Jones, consider it your lucky day. Because you can either consume these groceries, you can discard them, or you can donate them. And so, of course, what do we do? We began looking at the groceries and seeing what was there. And uh, the good news was, these were things that we don't buy very often, but you know what? We, we like Things like beef jerky and frozen French toast sticks and frozen pancakes. Things that, uh, quick breakfast that the kiddos, the kiddos love. And so if you're missing some groceries, 
Let me know. And we can settle that up later. Later, we'll be happy to share with you. But you know, there was less of a gift uh, and more of a correction uh, by the folks that were serving us of their own mix-up. You know, I still paid for the groceries I requested. They weren't free to me. I had to wait a little longer and I got a little extra, but I wouldn't exactly call it free. But you know, the truth we've gathered today to celebrate isn't about a mix-up. The God that we have come together once again on another Lord's Day, on another Resurrection Sunday, uh, doesn't, uh, n- hasn't done anything that is needing correction. He has made no mistake, and yet because of His great love for us, church, He has chosen to shower us with His sufficient grace to save us from the error of not His ways, but of our ways. The character of God led God, the character of the Almighty God, the good and gracious Father, led this God to grant us salvation completely of His own choosing and not on the basis of anything meritorious in us whatsoever. Salvation is a gift. The Bible is rather clear about this. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and following is quite clear about this. Salvation is a gift. What do we mean when we say salvation? We talk about salvation a good bit in the church. To be saved is to be spared God's wrath and reconciled to Him. To be saved is to be spared His wrath and reconciled, brought into right relationship with Him. Earlier in the same chapter, verse 3, Paul said it this way. He said, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Every single one of us. That's the way he stated it. Utterly undeserving of God's forgiveness, but spared God's wrath and reconciled to Him. And yet, through the gospel of Jesus, that's what God gives. The unearned and undeserved gift of a right relationship with Him and rescued from His wrath. In other words, it's, it's not just that in His kindness God gives us a little extra, right? No, that's a mis- Construal of the gospel. It's not as if we purchase the meal and God gives us a big slice of Edgar's cake to go with it. No, it's as if God purchased, prepared, served, and then cleaned up the mess from the whole meal. And we simply receive the gift of the meal by trusting his preparation enough to consume it. You can't earn God's favor. It's not like a job promotion or a position earned on the sports Team, for it is by grace you have been saved. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift. Church, it's a gift that flows from God's love for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Paul says it this way. He says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The righteous one dying for the unrighteous ones. The innocent for the guilty. The worthy for the unworthy. To satisfy God's justice and to justify, to declare righteous sinners by His grace. Paul says, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. A gift freely given by God Almighty and a gift received by God. Faith. He says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And it's not as if God provides the grace and we provide the faith, uh, somehow working together to accomplish our salvation. No, the whole thing is God's gift. In fact, when Paul writes, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, he's referring to the whole process of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. In fact, some uh, scholars that are much brighter than me have pointed out that the grammar of verse 8 in Ephesians chapter 2 indicates that all of salvation is a gift. God gives us grace. God gives us faith. And this is why the church is comprised of people with special needs, but also of people with PhDs. In other words, one's intelligence quotient isn't an indicator of his or her propensity to put their faith in Christ. It's not. Because the whole work of salvation belongs solely to God. God saves. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift to be received. John would say it this way, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. It was about midnight and a couple of missionaries were singing hymns and praying to God because they'd been preaching about Jesus and had been locked up for doing so. And suddenly, in the middle of the night, a great earthquake came along and broke the chains on the prisoners and opened the prison doors so uh, terrifying that the jail guard who was there to watch them for, retri- for, for fear of retribution of his own life, that a couple of prisoners escaped under his watch. But one of those missionaries being locked up, Paul steps up, he shouts in Acts chapter 16, don't harm yourself, don't take your life. We're here. Don't be alarmed. We're, we're here. And so he, he comes in, he calls for the lights, and he's trembling before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and he asks, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I want to be saved. I want what you have. What must I do to be saved? And they replied, Paul and Silas replied, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your whole household. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. To believe is to have faith. Faith is belief and trust. It's belief plus trust, you might say. To believe in Jesus is to believe he's our Savior and to trust him as Lord. Faith is the human response to God's gift of grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not by works so that no one can boast. There's no place for boasting. Salvation is a gift and there's no place for boasting. And I'll be honest with you, on a Sunday like today, I'd get up, I'd like to get up and, and boast a bit about my football team, the team I cheer for. It's been a long time since the Razorbacks were 4-0. and but you know what? I could get up and boast, but to do so would to be would be foolish because I have absolutely no contribution to the success of that particular team. Their winning or losing doesn't depend on me. And likewise, if salvation is God's work, if salvation is a gift, then there's no place for human boasting. If we haven't worked for it, then there's absolutely no place for bragging about ourselves. Be it our faith in Christ, be it our position in Christ, be it our witness for Christ, our generosity toward others, our ministry accomplishments, our work ethic, our political perspective, or anything else that we associate with doing or thinking or living the right way. C.S. Lewis is attributed with saying this. He said, pride is the pleasure of having more or being more than the next person. 
Pride is the pleasure of having more or being more than the next person. It's about comparing ourselves to the next person. And at its core, our sin nature is about a propensity to pride, to think more of ourselves, to want more for ourselves. It reminds me of uh, a story that Jesus told that uh, I heard uh, shared in a Bible study setting on Wednesday night in our Stories of Hope uh, Bible study led by David Spawn. Great place to, to be, by the way, on Wednesday nights. If you don't have a place to go, it's 6 o'clock. But here's the story. It's recorded in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. And I'll just read it. It's not in your notes, but it's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, that I'm not uh, like robbers and evildoers, adulterers, even like this here tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector, Jesus said, stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, this tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. The gospel of grace is not about anything that we have done to earn God's favor. In Jesus Christ, God accomplishes our salvation, all of it. It's His work. Thus, the glory must go to Him. It must go to God and God alone. And Jeremiah chapter 9, this is what the Lord says, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this. That they have the understanding to know me. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. In other words, God says to the prophet Jeremiah, don't boast in anything that you, that you think or know or have. But boast, if you want to boast about something, boast about me. Boast that you know me. If salvation then is God's work, church, and, and not dependent upon my wisdom, or my strength, or my talents, or my moralism, then can't I just sign up for God's forgiveness? Can't I just check that box and then go on living for myself? Yes, I'll take that, God. Thank you very much. I'll take the free gift, and then I'll keep on living for Chris. Keep on living for me. The best of both worlds. Sometime toward the end of last year, Ashley and I were in Sam's club. We were out of town visiting family, and we were in Sam's, and we were particularly there, I think, looking at phones because our phones were about to bite the dust. And as we were there, uh, we heard a message on the intercom in the uh, store that said something like this. uh, We're giving away a free knife with a lifetime warranty that never needs sharpening to every customer in the store in 10 minutes. Gather over here at this uh, station outside of the fresh meat. And so we said, you know what? We could use a knife. Let's go. 
We win. We watch the demonstration, the knife show. You've probably seen it. If you haven't, you've seen one like it. But, I mean, these were the real deal. These were some good knives. Part of the display was cutting a hammer with this knife. This is, this is a nice set of knives. And, of course, they pitch. This is, you know, this is, this is a good deal, really good deal. You don't ever have to sharpen these. This is the only knives you ever need. And it just so happened that we needed some knives. And so after the, the little display, we said, okay, We'll take the smallest sort of set you got. And, and, and we did. We took it. We took it home with us. And we didn't just put it in a drawer like we normally do with things like this. We, we used it. And we've continued to use it again and again because, you know what, they're actually right. They were really good, good knives. Those who really believe the knives are that good are not only going to sign up for some, saying, yeah, I'll take some, but they're going to start using them in the kitchen. And we did. Friends. Brothers, sisters, believers, church, if we really believe the salvation Jesus provides us is that good, that it's unearned, that it's undeserved, that it's freely given by God, then not only are we going to receive the gift, but we're going to start living for the Savior, the gracious God who has given us the perfect gift. Salvation is a gift. It's not by works. There's no place for boasting, but there's still a place, the Bible is clear, for works. The saved do good works. The saved do good works. Years ago, I tried to plant a garden. I don't think I've attempted since, and I hope to maybe another time. But at the time, we had a very small uh, little backyard that got very little sunshine, but we had a little flat spot. You know what I said? I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try a garden out this year. What can we lose? And so I planted some potatoes and some squash and some tomatoes. And pretty soon it was looking rather pitiful. Particularly the squash and tomatoes looked as if they had no hope at all. And so I gave up on those. But just a little while later I got excited because there was this green leafy plant growing. The potatoes were growing. If you know anything at all about potatoes, you know they grow underground. And so I'm thinking, here we go. This is happening. This is good. And they keep growing and I'm watering them. I'm taking care of them day after day. In fact, I'm even noticing if there are some weeds that, that prop up next to the potato plant. I'm, I'm picking them back. I'm pulling those weeds. I, I want to take care of this potato. This, this is going better than I ever thought that it could. Large green leaves suddenly thriving above the ground. Then suddenly one day I decided, you know, I can't take it any, more, any longer. I'm going to dig it up and see what's there. And so I carefully dig up around the potato plant and pull up, and you know what? There's no potato. Just some shallow roots. And I began to look around, and I suddenly noticed that there are potato plants everywhere, and not just in the designated garden area, far outside, which meant all that time I thought I was pampering a potato, I was actually pampering some kind of invasive weed. You see, I'm, I'm not... I'm not a gardener, but God is. He is. He's the perfect gardener. And the ones he plants and waters and cultivates produce fruit. They always produce fruit. They produce the fruit of good works, which verse 10 says, God prepared in advance for them to do. New Testament scholar Frank Thielman helps us understand this term translated here, prepared in advance or prepared beforehand. 
He says that it refers to the thoughtful preparation of something like a carefully prepared supper or like accusations put together in a legal case. The good works that God's people will do, therefore, have all been planned since the beginning of the world. You see, works are not the root of salvation, but they are the fruit of salvation. They're not the source of salvation, but they're the the natural byproduct of it. And both the root and the fruit are ultimately, the Bible is clear, in Ephesians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, are ultimately the work of God. Both the forgiveness of our sins and the corresponding good works, the corresponding fruit that accompanies the lives of the saved, are God's work, not ours. Leaving absolutely no place for human boasting. Jesus would say it this way in John chapter 15. He said, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. In other words, the saved do good works, not to earn God's favor, but because he's already given his favor. Those who are his want to live for him. So after laying a thorough and clear case in Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3 for God's gracious work of rescuing sinners. Paul's going to transition in chapter 4. He transitions rather quickly in chapter 4, verse 1, instructing believers, calling believers to live out their faith in very practical ways. And this is what he says in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, it's a prisoner for the Lord. He's writing from prison. Then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He's already made the case. Salvation is by grace alone. You can't earn it by faith alone. By grace alone, through faith alone. It's not by works. It's the gift of God so that no one can boast. But live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Friends, we've received a calling from God to be saved. To be rescued from his wrath and welcomed into his forever family. And through his spirit's constant presence and transformative work in our hearts, he calls us to live like members of the family. We are his handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Peter would say it this way in first Peter chapter two. He said, he said, live such good lives among the pagans, among unbelievers. People in the world live such good lives, distinct lives, lives, different lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Salvation is a gift. There's no place for boasting, none at all. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Not saved by works, but saved to do good works. Martin Luther, the reformer, would say it this way. He said, true faith will no more fail to produce good works than the sun can cease to give light. Save do good works. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I think what I'm trying to say, church, is this. God saves sinners to live for his glory. He saves sinners. He rescues sinners by his grace. So that they would live for him. Living the, the life that he intends for us. A life that exalts his name, that honors him. And a life 
for His glory. Friend, if you know the grace of God, if your faith is in the Son of God, then God saved you to live for Him, to live for His glory, and you will be most satisfied when you are living for Him. Are you living for Him? Are you living for the good and gracious Father? Are you living for His glory? What does it look like to live for Him? The instinct of the saved ought to be to do good works. Not to earn, but to enjoy. Not to pacify, but to magnify. Living for the glory of the Savior. Outline, if you've been using the sermon outline, is rather short today. There aren't any specific application steps in it, but let me mention just a few. Number one. If you've not done so already, believe and receive God's gracious gift. It's freely offered, given to all who will receive, who will believe and trust. You can do so today, you can do so right now by acknowledging to God that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, expressing your faith and prayer to God that Jesus is that sufficient Savior and you want to follow after Him. Believe and receive God's gracious gift. Number two, stop boasting. Stop comparing yourself to others. Let's not compare ourselves to others. This is of the flesh and of the devil. There's no room for boasting among God's people. Number three, pray the lost would hear the gospel of grace and the Spirit would stir them to believe. Pray that others would hear this good news. It is good news. It's news that ought to stir us to sing and to celebrate. Let's pray that others would hear it. Let's pray that the lost would hear it and that they would be stirred to believe. And lastly, stop trying to earn God's favor. You can't earn it. Simply rest in His grace. Rest in His grace. Find joy and delight and satisfaction in knowing that He loves you with an unfailing love. And His love for you has led Him to send His Son to give His life on the cross of Calvary as the perfect sacrifice in your place that you might know and enjoy Him, be reconciled to Him, and be spared His wrath forever and ever and ever. Rest in His grace. God saves sinners to live for His glory. Church, let's live for His glory. Oh, God, help us to live for Your glory. God, help us to lay our lives before You. Help us to walk by faith in you, help us to give ourselves to you because you gave your son for us. Father, this morning we have heard of your grace, your gospel of grace, this good news that most of us are so used to hearing about and yet struggle so hard to truly believe. Father, lead us now to sing of your grace. Father, lead us now to put our faith in you, our trust in you. Father, lead us now to commit ourselves to you and to trust you to do your transformative work in us. Guide us now. Hear our praise. Lead us to respond in ways fitting for those who've heard the gospel. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.